Greetings on this beautiful Friday in spring here in South Carolina. We don't get very many of those kind of days where we can say they're pretty. It goes from winter to summer really quickly around here, but we're very thankful for the beautiful weather that we have today. We moved the program to today. I originally had it planned for tomorrow around the same time, but one of our apologists, Jonathan Sheffield, is in a two-on-two debate tomorrow, and I wanted to move it so that people can watch the debate then. Uh, don't forget also tonight, Santi has a very special program on the same channel. Uh, if you have not had a chance to see the beginning stages of that, I know Santi's really excited, just got off the phone with him a minute ago. So be sure to tune in tonight. I believe it's at 8 p.m. You can see that and find that on our YouTube channel as well. All right. Well, we're in this series studying the eyewitness testimony of the gospel narratives that we have through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We have covered extensively Matthew and Mark, particularly last the two sessions were in Matthew and the first two were in Mark and dealing with Papias and the eyewitnesses. This week, it's going to be my, one of my favorites. I love the gospel of Luke. It is probably my favorite. Um, in fact, if you're watching, please tell me which one your favorite gospel is. I'm curious in the comments, which gospel narrative you like reading or enjoy reading the most, or the Lord has used mightily in your life. Um, and don't just put John just because there's good verses in John, but, uh, particularly we're in the synoptic side of things. So just curious in the comments, uh, which gospels are your favorite now, uh, we took a little bit of a break, and that's because I've been on multiple YouTube channels and podcasts over the last few weeks, and I just do not have the time to do all of them uh, at once. And so now we're back into dealing with what we want to get into, and that is the Gospel of Luke. And one of the things that I want to point out immediately about Luke's Gospel is the historical arguments that are for it, which I believe there's quite a bit, and very early text that will distinguish it from the other two and place it as the third gospel, but also tell us very important information about the writer as well as the author who licensed, if you would, this writing to take place and when it took place and where it took place. I think we have a lot of specifics about Luke's gospel. And in this segment, we're actually going to do our best to date it based on these historical documents. Now, let me clarify up front as well. I'm going to give you the ideal date from these documents. I'm not saying I particularly agree with the date, although I would say I'd land somewhere pretty close. But we can do a good job of, of diligent study and date the Gospel of Luke from two ancient documents we have that distinguish and discuss the very nature of the Gospel of Luke. The first one is known as the Anti-Marcionite Prologue, which is anywhere from the 2nd to 3rd century from its origin. And it says a lot about the Gospel of Luke. And I'm going to read the paragraph to you that is in it because there's a lot of things that we can lean uh, into and also glean out of in this very paragraph. The anti-Marcionite prologue reads this way. Indeed, Luke was an Antiochian Syrian. So right off the get-go, we have an origin of the man. He's Syrian. And that kind of makes sense, really, when you think about how he worded things or his really educational background that you can see within his Greek grammar. 
And then also the second phrase would also contribute to some of his wording as well. It says a doctor by profession, which you're going to find consistent in these documents as well. A disciple of the apostles. It needs to be also stated that Luke was not an eyewitness. He was not one of the 12. He was not even one of the 70 or 72 that were sent out by Jesus. He was a disciple of the apostles, particularly Paul the apostle. And then it states later, however, he followed Paul until his martyrdom, serving the Lord blamelessly. He never had a wife. He never fathered children and died at the age of 84, full of the Holy Spirit and Boeotia. Now, listen, let's pause before I read the second half of that. What this document is telling us is quite interesting because it's giving us information, not just about his style of writing or his his background with the apostles, although it says he was a disciple of the apostles, and it tells us he was a doctor by profession, but it also tells us his location of birth. It also tells us about his family life and his age of death. Now, again, maybe this is all fabricated and made up, as some would probably want us to believe, but we need to instantly pull ourselves back and say, now these ages that are brought in like 84, he died at 84 years old, that's kind of an odd age just to make up out of thin air. You know, 85 maybe or 90, that, that's a cool number. Um, but this information is second to third century, and they receive this tradition very, very early on. And so that's what I want to, I want to focus on the details that this document and the next one we're going to look at give about Luke's gospel and not just about the gospel, but about him. So, so what we have again, that the, the atheists and the skeptics and the critics of the gospel cannot produce is a person of interest. And we're going to see multiple attestation for this same person of interest. And not only do we have a person of interest, we have a background, a profession, an age of death, a location. We have his associations, his followings. We have a lot of information about him. That is more than what we get for most documentation of other ancient works about who wrote what, who wrote this document, what about that person. There's a lot here very early on in the game that we wish we had for multiple ancient works and writers and historians that we don't have information about their life and their background. So this, this cannot be just excused away and ignored. There has to be validity in there. And if these claims are wrong, an ancient claim, not a modern one, if this ancient claim is wrong, then someone needs to produce the evidence to dismiss these claims. So we have a background, we have a location, we have uh, an association, we have his profession, his death, where he died. And then it continues to say, therefore, although gospels had already been written, indeed by Matthew and Judea, but by Mark and Italy. So We've already distinguished that, which is consistent with what we've already studied, that Matthew wrote and published a gospel for the converted Jews out of Judaism in Jerusalem. Mark published a gospel for Peter in Rome, or as he says here in Italy. Moved by the Holy Spirit, he wrote 
down this gospel in the parts of Achaia. Now that that's that's another very important detail. So he, he's telling us in this uh, document, the Anti-Marcionite Prologue, that this gospel was written in a location, Achaia, or in the areas of Achaia. But it's interesting that they already seen his writing as uh, really an inspired text. Note the words again, moved by the Holy Spirit, he wrote down, which is the same terminology used when it says that the the writers were moved by the Holy or carried along by the Holy Spirit of God, really giving us that divine word of inspiration. Same idea. And the writer of the Anti-Marcionite Prologue believed that, that Luke was also moved by the Holy Spirit to write down this account. But he gives us a particular location. It's in the parts of Achaia. And indeed, afterwards, the same Luke wrote the Acts of the Apostles, which most people have no problem identifying the fact that Acts and Luke are so closely linked that the writer of one is the writer of the other. The problem then, the debate, is not about whether the writer of Acts and Luke are the same writer. It's more about, is that writer Luke, as he has always been attributed to that text? So in summary, Luke was Syrian, not a Jew. He was a physician, which is consistent with what Paul said in Colossians chapter 4, verse 14. He was a disciple of the apostles, specifically Paul, and not one of Jesus himself. He was not an eyewitness himself. He died at the age of 84 in central Greece, having never married, fathered children, or anything like that. He wrote his gospels in the areas of Achaia, and he also wrote the book of Acts. So that's what the anti-Marcionite prologue teaches us. But there's there's another document known as the Muratorian Fragment, which is one of the earliest canonical lists, if you would. And it's at the end of the second century, between 170 and 200. And this is another attestation that's consistent with the Anti-Marcionite Prologue, but gives us another bit of information that I think would be helpful for us to know. It states the third book of the gospel is that according to Luke. Again, consistency across the board that it was Matthew, Mark, and Luke. But remember, as we distinguished Matthew, that the Hebrew Matthew was the first one that most of these writers are referring to. The Greek was translated later. And if you missed that discussion, go back on the podcast, or if you're watching this on YouTube, go back to the YouTube channel. You can find both those videos on Matthew, where I go into great depth and discussion about that very thing. But it says the third book of the gospel is according to Luke. Luke, the well-known, keyword, well-known physician, after the ascension of Christ. So we have another timeline here. So Luke, again, not a follower and a witness to the ministry life of Jesus or even his ascension, but rather it was after. He was converted after Jesus ascended. But one of the things that the Muratorian fragment makes note of is not just that he's a physician, like the anti-Martianite prologue says, but he was a well-known physician, meaning he was very skilled in what he did. He was very good at his job. He was studied in the ancient medicines, which we're going to talk about that. He, he was very aware of Greek medicine. He was very aware and trained in it. And we're going to show even in the Gospel of Luke how you can see evidence of those things. But it says he's a well-known physician. And it says it was after the ascension of Christ when Paul had taken him with him as a companion of his traveling, composed it in his own name. 
So Luke composed it in his name. Now, again, you're going to see multiple places where people argue, why don't they just state who they are? Why doesn't it say I Luke or I John or I Matthew and I Mark write these things to you like you see in the epistles? And that goes back to the fact of what we talked about in first century biographical work, that we do not see this at that time as a practice in, in dealing with somebody else's life by inserting yourself into it, especially after words like this, and we see that Luke was not an eyewitness, for him to include himself into that story is actually to diminish the point of what he's trying to do, and that is give Jesus full credit and full scenery for his life and ministry, death, burial, and resurrection. So he composed it in his own name, which is why it probably circulated across the world under the name of Luke, even early on, including the second century, like this document here. It says, according to the general belief, yet he himself had not seen the Lord in the flesh. So that's consistent with the anti-Marcionite prologue. And therefore, as he was able to ascertain events, so indeed he begins to tell the story from the birth of John. So Luke picks up very early. John the Baptist's life, Jesus's life, all the way to their childhood, which is unlike anything we've seen so far. Although Matthew deals with it slightly when Jesus was probably a toddler, Mark most certainly does not jump straight on the scene of Jesus's ministry with John the Baptist's ministry. But Luke goes further back, starting with the birth of John and the birth of Jesus, taking great interest in that narrative. But he was interviewing individuals who were there at the scenes and he took notes of what they said and he compiled two entire biographies one really of jesus and the other was particularly of paul but really of the church and its explosion at the early stages through the teachings and preachings of peter and the apostles and later the ministry of paul so in summary of the uh muratorian fragment we have luke was a well-known physician he became a follower of Paul, traveled him, composed a gospel in his name while traveling with Paul, and that he was, again, not an eyewitness of Jesus. His writings were based on his ability to discover, learn, or study events from the time of John the Baptist all the way to the ascension of Jesus. And that that, that part is why I underlined in my notes, and I emphasize to you, is he brings it back all the way to the ascension of of Jesus. big That's a big deal. So a hypothesis that I want to propose to you that are watching, and you tell me what you think in the comments, those that are watching uh, live stream and in the comment department already, I want you to take a moment and tell me what you think about this hypothesis just on these two documents. Again, to clarify, I'm not saying they are exactly these years, and I agree with these years. Again, although I believe they are close, but if we just take these two documents alone, based on what both of them said, and we actually do the study work, which I'll unravel for you, we can come up with a pretty close date to when these two documents are saying this gospel account was written. So let's think about this. So uh, Luke started traveling with Paul in about Acts 16, verse 10. That's when you start seeing these pronouns show up. Uh, we, us, our, you start seeing the writer include himself in the Pauline journey 
And that started in about Acts chapter 16, verse 10 is the first time you see the writer include himself on the scene, showing and demonstrating this is where his eyewitness testimony himself began with. And that event of Acts 16 took place between 50 and 52 AD in Paul's ministry journey. Now, the Muratorian fragment states that he wrote it while traveling with Paul. So it's going to be after this time, after 52 AD. Now, the anti-Marcionite prologue says that it took place while he was in the area of Achaia. That's a very important hint to us because if we follow Paul's ministry journey, he went there on a few occasions. The main time frame he was there was scripturally in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 19, which is around 55 to 56 AD. It was here that Paul probably published the book of 2 Corinthians, and he had Luke and Titus with him who probably actually delivered that letter for Paul. But during that time frame, around that 55, 56, when they were in Achaia at that region, that's about the time, maybe 57 AD, he was possibly beginning his journey of writing it. Now, I believe that Luke uh, took his time on this. I don't think he just wrote it in one setting, like some of the apostles probably wrote some of the epistles. I believe he probably took great depth and length and, and inventory and making sure he's got his facts right. I think that this was a journey for Luke to do and that he wrote it and published it but began the process in Achaia, which would have been around 56, let's just say 56, 57 AD, because that is when he was with Paul in his travels in Acts 19. Now, this timeline would work really well, actually, with Luke gaining proper documentation from both the apostles and other eyewitnesses who were in Antioch and Jerusalem. Now, around Acts 18, which remember, between Acts 18 and Acts 19, there's Quite a gap. I mean, you're talking about anywhere from three to five years in a gap between those two chapters. In Acts 18, we find that he spent time with Paul in Jerusalem and Antioch regions, which means he would have been there with the eyewitnesses that still were alive at this time, uh, which is where he would collect collected most of the data that he received. He would have received information from guys like Cleopas, uh, getting the story that is there of uh, the two disciples, he and the unknown uh, disciple on the road of Emmaus. Uh, it would have been here that he would have received the information about Mary's prayer and the information about her cousin, Elizabeth, and John the Baptist. He would have received this information from them. And whether Mary was still alive at that time, which I it's very possible she was. He could have gotten it from Mary herself, which I think is ideal. Uh, or he, he got it from James, the just, James, the brother of Jesus, also the son of Mary, who knew these stories from his mother and shared them with Luke. Whichever it may be, it makes sense uh, that he started traveling with Paul around 50 to 52. And then in the first couple of years of being with Paul, he spent time in Jerusalem and Antioch with the other apostles and eyewitnesses, and he would have had time to document their testimony where he would have been able to spend well over four or five years before publishing his gospel to calculate, construct, and think through how he was going to do 
this work. He was very interested in the details. He was very interested in the bodily uh, death and resurrection of Jesus. He's very interested in Jesus' birth story. He's very interested in John the Baptist's birth story, being born to older mother and father. He had a great interest in these things and was clearly taking notes when he spent time with the other eyewitnesses in the early stages of traveling with Paul. This would also maintain consistency with the testimony of the early fathers when Paul said the phrase, according to my gospel, which we'll read in a second from Jerome, he was referring to Luke's gospel. And the earliest usage of that phrase is in Romans 2, uh, verse 16, but that writing of Romans would have been around 57 to 58. So it could be that while Paul was publishing 2 Corinthians and Luke and, and Titus were delivering it to the church of Corinth, that Paul was also knowingly working with Luke to get this gospel narrative of Jesus' life published that he would carry with him in his travels. And very early on when publishing it, he writes in Romans and then later in 2 Timothy, my gospel, the early fathers recognized that to be the gospel of Luke because Paul authorized this to take place. I mean, Luke was doing it under the apostolic authority of Paul. And uh, we'll talk a little bit more why that's the case. But that, to me, that's an, a very important thing to note if that is true, because that gives us consistency of timeline. Luke would have just freshly published the gospel while Paul published the, the book of Romans. And it could be, uh, and this is my hypothesis, I, I don't I have a dogmatic approach to this, it could be that when Paul sent a letter to the Romans, he attached also the gospel of Luke with it. Uh, and so when he stated that, he was saying that it was according to my gospel. He was referring to the document that was sent with it so they would have been able to comprehend what he was saying far more in depth. It seems to me this would make the hypothesis possible. So based on these two documents, one could conclude that the Gospel of Luke was written anywhere, in my opinion, between 56 and 58 AD, based on these two documents. And I could see that being true, give or take a few years. I'm fine with it. Uh, I, I am fine with just calculating through those witnesses of those ancient documents, the timeline. But what about the church fathers? So, you know, let's jump into what they had to say in conjunction with these two documents themselves. Uh, Irenaeus being one of the earliest, obviously he was a disciple of Polycarp, who's a disciple of John the Apostle, um, who is around modern day France. And what he tells us in the second century, very similar timeline to the Muratorian fragment, is that Luke was also a companion of Paul. Again, no, no debate or dispute. Recorded in a book of the gospel, preached by him being Paul. So Irenaeus is telling us that Luke recorded a account of the gospel that Paul regularly preached. So much of the authority behind Luke's gospel is Paul authorizing it, but it was also using what would seem to be, based on Irenaeus, is saying certain stories of Jesus that Paul enjoyed preaching to the Gentile nations. And those are part of his... Um, compilation. So Luke would have written a script that would have been consistent with Paul's sermon. So if Paul really enjoyed preaching on the early ministry of Jesus, 
uh, with him as a child being born or him as a 12 year old in the temple being lost or his, his uh, perspective in, in his suffering that's given to us in Luke's gospel in the garden. When you look at it from that perspective, it would seem that Paul was utilizing those stories. And so Luke would have compiled a written text that's consistent with the way that Paul would preach and the stories in, in, in the sermons that he would preach of that. Now, again, Paul did use uh, references to the past. And I know that a lot of the skeptics and atheists want to just get rid of this and say it doesn't exist and made it up. But there are places like in, in Paul writing to Timothy or even recounting uh, the ministry of Jesus at the Passover night when doing uh, the Eucharist. The wording is, is Luke's wording. Now, it could be that 1 Corinthians preceded Luke, which I think it, it probably did. But remember, if Luke is using the testimony and stories of Paul and, and, and James and those in Jerusalem that were still alive and following Matthew's text and Mark's text with Peter's eyewitness testimony, he's going to be utilizing quite a bit of this already established content. And if it's Paul that's preaching to the Corinthians, this is what Jesus said the night he was betrayed. It would seem to reason that if Luke came after that, which I do think it did, I think Luke came before 1 Timothy, but I think that it came after 1 Corinthians, both mentioning quotations of Jesus's ministry that come out of Luke's gospel. What, but, but what we find in the Eucharist story is it's not identical identical wording to Luke's gospel, like it is in first Timothy. So the format or the, if you would, the works, the details, the study, the guideline that, that Luke used would have been the same one that Paul used. They had a study guide, or if you would, a established text or, or a compilation of teachings that were there. And Paul knew them and was teaching them to the Corinthians. And Luke used that same one that Paul had because he traveled with them. And then Paul later uses Luke's in first Timothy. To me, I think that's what's going on there. Also, Irenaeus said, thus did the apostles simply and without respect of persons deliver to all what they had themselves learned from the Lord. Again, eyewitnesses. Thus also does Luke without respect of persons deliver to us what he had learned from them. Now, th this is a, that's an against heresies book three, chapter 14, by the way. And I think this is something that you and I should really uh, pause on for a minute and take into consideration once more what the early church writers are saying about Luke. He did not see these things. He is only writing a script. He is writing a, a documentation of things that were learned by those who heard the Lord, which, by the way, very similar to what he says in Acts very similar to what he says in Luke chapter one. And believe it or not, I still hold the theory that Luke wrote the God, uh, wrote the book of Hebrews for Paul as well. And it's similar to what Hebrews two says. Those words are almost identical to what Hebrews two said about how they learned this from those who heard him. Similar terminology, similar wording. Now let's continue on. It says, even as they delivered them unto us, who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word. So he quotes Luke 1 saying, hey, he learned it from the eyewitnesses, similar to what we see in Hebrews as well. Tertullian, second century, 
into the early third. He says, now, of the authors whom we possess, Marcion seems to have singled out Luke for his mutilating process, which we've talked about in this program before. And there was no dispute from Marcion as to the origins of Luke's gospel. He knew it traced back to Paul. And what he did is all the Luke and material that couldn't be traced to Paul, he mutilated. He wiped it out, cut it out, and called the gospel that he published the gospel of Paul because he knew that material was Pauline and the rest was Luke's that he received from other eyewitnesses, which Marcion didn't trust. So only the parts that Paul would have given Luke were accurate and the rest that he received from elsewhere was eliminated and he called it the gospel of Paul. So even Marcion, while trying to distort and mutilate the gospel of Luke still knew the origin of its writing and that it was traced to Paul. Even he knew that while trying to do harm to it. It says Luke, however, was not an apostle again, consistency, but only an apostolic man, which I love that, love that term. He was an apostle, but he was an apostolic man, meaning he was, trained and introduced and really submerged in the teachings of the apostles themselves. He was an apostolic man, not a master, but a disciple as so inferior to a master, at least as far as subsequent to him as other apostles whom he followed. And that no doubt was Paul was subsequent to the others. So that had Marcion even published his gospel in the name of St. Paul himself, the single authority of the document, destitute of all support from preceding authorities, would not be sufficient basis for our faith. And what Tertullian is basically saying is this. Luke's gospel is traced to Paul's authority. He was not the person who published this in his own authority. He did it under the authority of a master. He was merely inferior to the master. And that master had to be an apostle. And he was an apostle. It was Paul that was. And he basically said even Marcion recognized how important that is. The question that I have is, do we recognize how important that is? So in summary, Luke's gospel was singled out by Marcion, the heretic, and it was mutilated. Luke was not an apostle, but a disciple of the apostles. He was under the authority of the apostle Paul from a ministerial standpoint. And much of his gospel was connected to Paul's testimony. This was evidenced in Marcion naming his mutilated form of Luke's gospel, the gospel of Paul, which likely eliminated the testimony of the other things that Luke recorded. All right, that's the summary of them. How about Jerome? Jerome in the fourth century said, Luke, a physician, again, very important, of Antioch, as his writings indicate, so important. We're going to talk more about this next week, and I hope you tune in again and that you do not miss next week as we get into the intrinsic and to the internal side of the Gospel of Luke. We're going to take Jerome's statement and we are going to test it. We're going to lean into it. We're going to find out if this is true. Again, folks, what we're doing in this program is not merely a historical practice. We start there. We find a person of interest. We find his name anywhere we can find it, whether it's in a Muratorian fragment, an Antimarsinite prologue, or in these church father citations. And which are all saying the same thing. We find a person of interest. We find what they say about that person of interest. And we see if the writings internally reflect what they are saying. It has been consistent with Mark. It has been consistent with Matthew. We've been able to reconcile the whole Hebrew, Greek, Matthew thing. When we, when we take everything into consideration and come up with a reasonable hypothesis for its account. And now we're able to do the same thing with Luke. And I hope next week that you tune in and you're going to be able to see 
the insight of what Jerome just told us. And that is he's a physician. And again, he's from Antioch. So he's from Syria. As his writings indicate. And then he goes to the skill level of the writings. It says, was not unskilled in the Greek language. And he was not. Luke was probably one of the better writers of the four gospels in the Greek language. An adherent of the apostle Paul. And a companion all of his journeying, he wrote a gospel concerning which some Paul says, we send him with a brother whose praise in the gospel is among all the churches. And to the Colossians, Luke, the beloved physician, salutes you. And to Timothy, Luke only is with me. Some suppose that whenever Paul in his epistle says, according to my gospel, he means the book of Luke. And that Luke not only was taught the gospel history by the Apostle Paul, who was not with the Lord in the flesh, but by the other apostles. Again, so, so what Jerome's saying is what we had already established and already stated about the whole according to my gospel phrase. But he also says that he was not just learning this information from Paul, who actually didn't walk with Jesus while he was in the flesh, but after the resurrection he did. But he learned it from the apostles who did walk with Jesus from the flesh. He had a collective eyewitness testimony group working together to make this happen. This he too at the beginning of his work declares, saying, even as they delivered unto us, which from the beginning were eyewitness and ministers of the word. So he wrote the gospel as he heard it, but composed the acts of the apostle himself as he had seen. So what Jerome is saying is that the Luke gospel was published based on the eyewitness testimonies and what they told him. Paul and the others that were still alive. Acts was more based on his own perspective. As we demonstrated in chapter 16, he starts, we, us, our. And so he's including himself in the narrative. So half of Acts is really based on his eyewitness testimony with Paul. So in summary, this is what we have. Again, Luke's a physician. His writings indicate he was a physician, which we're going to talk about more in depth next week. He was under the authority of the apostle Paul when writing his gospel. He learned his information from Paul and the other apostles. And when he wrote, he wrote the data that he heard and learned from the eyewitnesses themselves. So what are the historical arguments for the gospel of Luke? What did the writers say on their own uh, of him? All the things that we summarized and very, very consistent. But another thing, what did the writer say about his own account? So we're going to see a little bit of what Jerome was saying a second ago, but we're going to delve in just a little bit here. And see, what did the writer say about himself? Because I have heard this statement, and I want to dismiss this as quickly as I can. I have heard this statement made multiple times. And those in the audience, I see your comments. Keep them coming. Tell me if you have heard this argument as well. That Luke never states, as a good historian would, his sources. That that is exactly the opposite of the truth. I've heard it over and over. A good historian states his sources. Uh, Luke never states his sources, making him a bad historian. Is that true though? Well, let's, let's look into it. Luke chapter one, verse one through four. Luke says this many, and I underline that many have undertaken to compile a narrative about the events that have been fulfilled among us just as the original eyewitnesses and servants of the word handed them down to us. 
Now, <laughs> hear what Luke's trying to say. He recognizes that there were multiple circulated accounts compiled about the events that were being done in their time, Luke's time, to copy what the original eyewitnesses and servants of the word handed them down to us. I think this is vital. Let's pull that apart. He realized that in his day that there were writings of Jesus's ministry, which let's just say this is in the 50s or 60s, okay? He realized there were already gospel accounts being compiled about Jesus from his generation's view. Not from those that heard Jesus, but those that came later. That there were communities writing narratives about Jesus, his teachings, and so forth. But he eliminates all of them to the fact that they were patterning or trying to compile a account or accounts on the basis of how it was done by the original eyewitnesses and servants of the word handed them down to us. So we're going to break this down in summary. But here's what Luke's saying. He realized that there were already accounts out there that were based on eyewitnesses. Um, that would be Matthew and Mark by this point. And I love how he says eyewitnesses and servants because he knew, and I believe Luke had Mark's gospel in front of him, just like I believe he had Matthew's gospel in front of him. And he was trying to uh, even pattern the eyewitness testimony of Peter and the, and the group of apostles that were still left behind with Matthew's testimony. And he realizes that they were not all written by just eyewitnesses because Mark was not an eyewitness. He was a disciple of an eyewitness, just like Luke was a disciple of the eyewitnesses. So with that being said, he realizes that many people in the past, um, in his day, wrote accounts trying to pattern themselves after eyewitness accounts. And guess what? They obviously didn't make it. Notice what he says. It also seemed good to me since I have carefully investigated everything from the very first to write to you an orderly sequence, most honorable Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things which had uh, been in uh, which you have been instructed. So let's let's break this down even further. He says many have undertaken. Epicurason is the Greek word here. And it occurs frequently in medical language. <laughs> now, I want our audience to really get engaged in the comments this, uh, section about this part right here. And I want you to understand the depths of what Jerome said. And again, we'll do more of this next week. Jerome said that his writings indicate, indicate to us that he was a physician. Right off the get-go, he starts using words like epicurason, which is a medical term. Particularly the phrasing he uses here seems to come right out of um, 460 to 370 BC era. There was a medical doctor 
uh, who wrote this, and I'm going to read it to you, wrote a treatise very similar to what Luke, I think, patterned himself after. It says, as many as undertaken, that's the epicurason, there it is, to speak or write concerning the healing art. Now, Hippocrates is the man I'm, I'm, I'm talking about. Hippocrates was an ancient uh, doctor in the ancient Greek world. And he wrote an intro to medicine or healing. And he says, as many as undertaken to speak or to write concerning healing art. And here, um, Luke chooses to use that. Just, uh, okay, so you don't want to believe it's Luke. You don't want to believe it's a physician. It's very odd that he starts out his whole gospel narrative following ancient Greek doctors' formulas of how to heal and uses the same phrasing many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the events that have been fulfilled. And then Hippocrates is like, many have undertaken to speak or write concerning the healing art. Same phrasing. The word undertaken also shows that these endeavors were not entirely successful. And the use of the aorist verb implies that they had already failed. These were attempts that didn't make it. So the, why? Because they were patterning themselves after the eyewitness gospel uh, narratives, which at this point would be Matthew and Mark. And these that attempted to duplicate it without eyewitness help failed. Now, listen carefully, and I know you're probably tired of me saying that, but this is so important. We're being told that the churches of this time accepted anonymous gospels and just transmitted, translated, and transcribed these things and just issued them out. And the, all these churches across the world are accepting the same ones, of course. But we don't know who they're from, which bishop, which region, how they got them. They just took them in and accepted them. Instead of listening to their own words, where they realized that people were publishing within the Christian communities gospel narratives, and they weren't making it. And why weren't they making it? Why weren't they surviving? Why were they undertaking those opportunities, but failing those opportunities? Why? Because they were not gospels based on eyewitnesses. They were gospels patterned from people who learned from the eyewitnesses. And because of that, the churches didn't utilize them because they're not close enough. So how does Luke who's not an eyewitness, publish a gospel that would be accepted by the churches. A, you need to have authority from an apostle to do it, which we just, numerous examples said it was Paul. B, your reports need to be from the eyewitnesses who gave them to you. And so this is why he makes the most important statement of all when he says many have undertaken to do this, he said, but it seemed good to me since I have carefully investigated everything from the first to write to you in orderly secret, a sequence. From what? The eyewitnesses, the, the original eyewitnesses and servants that handed them down. So to say, well, Luke never, I mean, he's a bad historian. He didn't state his sources. He most certainly did. He told you they're the eyewitnesses. And he's going to use form of writing, which we'll see next week, to show you who his primary 
helps were or his primary people that gave him the information. And we'll even look at some in Acts where he got his information from scenes. He wasn't at there too. You're going to see that he actually is a good historian and he does tell you, you just got to be looking for it and listening. His intro doesn't flat out say, I am Luke and I got this information from so-and-so and so-and-so. No, what he does is he instigates this thing by giving you an opening that's trying to tell you, I realize that many have also attempted to do this, but they didn't do it with the eyewitnesses. They did it after patterning the eyewitnesses. I've received this from the eyewitnesses. And then he'll use formulas and writings of that century to lay out and describe and identify the people of interest who gave him the information all through the gospel and even through Acts. And we'll look at that more specifically next week. So another word that should not be missed in this is the word many. Why did Luke's account survive? Why did Mark and Matthew survive while the others failed to persevere? I've been saying it this whole time. It goes back to the authorship and the apostolic authority and the eyewitness testimony. So let's consider a few thoughts about this. Number one, the letter would have had to come from an eyewitness and approved apostolic authority because everybody else is failing because they're not apostles and they're not eyewitnesses. Their, their attempts are failing. So if Luke's going to produce something that's going to stick, um, you better have apostolic authority back in you and eyewitness testimony in your content, which is what he did. He reviewed this information, shared this information that he learned from them. We've already seen the historical attestation of this gospel being authorized by Paul. There's also needs to be... Uh, somebody that's reputable connecting these stories together. So Paul being the authority behind it's great, but Luke's still gathering the content where he got that content is very important. He got it from the eyewitnesses and naturally he would have used Peter's main eyewitness testimony through the gospel of Mark and what the apostles themselves had already published a gospel together with Matthew uh, as their main scribe in the gospel of Matthew. It's very likely that Luke's name was written on this account. What good is an account that addresses an individual, Theophilus, without notifying the individual of who is writing him? I mean, think about that for a minute. People say, well, Luke never wrote his name on it. Not in the actual text. It doesn't mean he didn't write it on the actual um, papyri on the outside or somewhere else or at the heading. We don't, we don't know. We don't have the original letter that he wrote to Theophilus. We have copies of that letter and all the copies very early on that we have of it have no problem attributing it to Luke, just like the anti-Martian prologue and the Miratorian fragment and the early church fathers all give it to Luke. What good is it if you receive a letter that is big as the gospel of Luke and then a second one, the size of Acts, written to you with with no sender. Like, he's like, man, this is a great story. Who's this from? How do they know my name? When Theophilus received that letter, he knew who it came from. I like what John Wenham says uh, when he puts it this way. Luke's preface would have been meaningless to the original readers unless the author's name had been known to its recipients. Theophilus is not, he's being named as the, the person that's receiving this. What good is it for him to receive a letter without a person of interest who gave it to him? 
And they have always traced it back to Luke. So why Luke? If this is a forgery, and, and, and I want you to listen carefully. If you're listening to this program, you're skeptical, or you're not sure, or you're not sure where you land on this. If it's not Luke, then who is it? Come up with a person of interest that, that can actually outdo all of the people of interest that the early church and these ancient fragments have that are consistent, by the way, across the countries and across the world, consistent. But here's a question, a second question. Why would they pick Luke for a forgery? Why would the churches, if this is just trying to slap a name on a document, why in the world would you pick Luke? Leon Morris put it well when he said, Luke was not, as far as we know, a person of such prominence in the early church as to have two such considerable volumes as these fathered on him without reason. If people were guessing, why would they not be much more likely to come up with an apostle? Hey, there's an idea. There's a great idea. Hey, that's what the Gnostics did. The Gospel of Thomas. The Gospel of Mary, of Mary Magdalene and her eyewitness testimony. The Gospel of Peter. Hey, that's what they did. A writing from Peter to Philip. Uh, letters from Paul. These forgeries from Paul. James. Folks, if you're going to forge at this time, especially when the writer himself is admitting, a lot of people have tried to do this and they've screwed up because uh, they're writing testimony of Jesus, but it's not from an eyewitness standpoint. It's patterning themselves after what the eyewitnesses had already written, meaning it's secondhand. If, if the forgerer is admitting that at the beginning, why in the world would they put Luke's name on it who's not an eyewitness? Why would they do that? You just ruined your credibility. You just placed yourself with the many that undertook because now Luke is just another one of those second-hand people who were, who were disciples of the eyewitnesses and his account's just going to go right on with the undertaken accounts that didn't make it because it's got the same problem they all did. Th that doesn't even make sense. This could be instrumental in the explanation as to why Marcion put Paul's name on it because Luke isn't credible. He took Luke's off, put Paul on it because Paul has credibility. Just like all the Gnostics put names on it of the apostles because they're easier to sell that way. Luke is not a big name. You don't see forgeries with his name written all over it through church history. Not like you do Paul. Not like you do Peter, not like you do James, not like you do John. You don't have that. Why Luke? It's a horrible forgery if you're going to use Luke. Lastly, it was based on the eyewitnesses. So, number one, the letter would have come from the eyewitnesses. It was approved by apostolic authority. Two, we've got to ask ourselves, why Luke? Why in the world? would the churches attribute this document as a forgery to Luke, who is unpopular? And three, it was based on eyewitnesses, not just the apostolic approval, but the eyewitnesses. Notice just notice the phrase, just as, in the introduction. This would indicate that many were not apostolic men. This would remove the notion that Luke was writing to correct Matthew and Mark. He realized that these were apostles, or if you would, eyewitnesses and servants of the Lord. 
He's not writing to correct them. That's not what he's doing here. Luke separates himself from the eyewitnesses and contextually places himself with the category of the many. He's placing himself with the generation of the many who failed. This also indicates that the many were not necessarily evil accounts as much as valiant attempts, if you would, to spread the message and fame of Jesus, but failed doing it. This is why having apostolic authority behind your account and eyewitness testimony within your account is vital for the churches to receive. This allowed Luke to say the words, I have carefully investigated everything from the very first to write to you an orderly sequence. That is why Luke was able to do what he did. So with that being said, this is the introduction to Luke. This is the patterning that we have early on for Luke. And uh, next week, we're going to go into the intrinsic ver uh, side of this. We're going to investigate this side of it, and we're going to see, is there a doctor, medical physician writing this account? If so, there should be a lot of evidence of it. And it's like Jerome said, it's indicated in his writings. All right, we got just a few minutes, but we can jump to the comment section here. Uh, first name, last name. Always look forward to these videos. Thank God we have such a blessing. Uh, thanks for the kind words. We appreciate that. By the way, if you really do enjoy these videos, make sure you like and subscribe. Like this specific video and share it where you can, but also subscribe to Explore Christianity because there's a lot of great content by a lot of really good guys uh, who are doing good work in the field of apologetics please like and subscribe us. If you have not, it's that simple. Just take the mouse or your finger on your phone and click like on there and subscribe on the side. We would greatly appreciate it. Also, if you really do uh, benefit from this work and you're listening, whether you're on the podcast facts or you're on the YouTube channel, uh, at the bottom of my screen, you'll see our website, explorechristianity.net. Uh, uh, please, uh, you can go on there and give even a minimal amount of 10 or $15 a month. It's really not that bad. I mean, a minimum of 10, 15 or 20, whatever, do a thousand, whatever the Lord leads you to do uh, and support the work that we're doing across the world. We are engaging atheists and Muslims and skeptics and, and even uh, other cults and, and religions. And we're dealing with content daily and studying in groups and putting out um, well-researched material every single week. Uh, for listeners and universities, we're on college campuses in Texas. Uh, there's a new uh, form on there uh, where you can actually donate particularly just to that or a particular apologist like John Beasley or Santi or myself or Eric. Uh, you can designate specific funds to help them because these guys are doing this work, uh, quite a bit of it for free. Uh, so if you're uh, interested and you really do enjoy this content, uh, go to explorechristianity.net and you can go to the giving portal and also get monthly newsletters of what we're doing, what we're up to as well. Uh, let's uh, let's see here. Luke, um, it's tough to choose one. So, okay, so this was answering the question of which one you like of the Gospels. Tough to choose one, but Luke and John are my two favorites. I agree with that. I'm with you on that. Oh, look at there. Don Fullman joined the uh, comment section earlier. Uh, he says that a, uh, a atheist troll in the house, <laughs> uh, I, Don had just called me earlier about setting up a debate down in Atlanta in a few months with an atheist. Uh, so I'll be looking forward to that. Don also said, this is a very interesting part 
of this gospel. Thank you for that, Don, uh, and that comment. Uh, Callum S. says, would Luke write his own gospel or use an amenuous? No, Luke would use his own. Um, I think that's very evident compared to, you know, Peter using an amenuensis or Paul using like Tertius and Romans or, or others in his writings. Uh, Peter using Sylvanus and first Peter or Mark for his gospel. Luke would have been the actual penman. He would have been the guy that studied this and the penman itself. And just based on his personal intro to Theophilus would to me indicate as much, but I don't think he would have used an amanuensis. I think he would have done it himself. Uh, very good question, though. Uh, looks like uh, you have another one here. Do you think any of the 12 apostles were in Jerusalem when Luke spent some of his time there? Yeah, I actually do. Uh, Matthew would have probably been there at that time. John would have probably been visiting. Peter visited frequently. I mean, Peter was between... I remember he wasn't just in Jerusalem. He was in Jerusalem and Antioch. He went back and forth with Paul at both. And we know that Peter went back and forth between Rome and Antioch. Uh, even Paul says as much, Peter was in Antioch at a certain point. So he would have probably met up with Peter individually uh, as well. But there's no doubt. I believe uh, there was a good portion of the apostles alive, not just apostles, but but eyewitnesses, including guys uh, that would have given him information that have been viable for, say, for example, on the two disciples on the road of Emmaus, he would have received that information there or from uh, Mary uh, or James the Just, the information about the birth story of Jesus. He would have met others that weren't apostles as well while he was in there. Uh, JD uh, implies many written accounts of Christ existed by the 60s or so AD. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and JD, I don't know if you caught that portion. We discussed that a little bit. Uh, many would uh, would say that the many would be his generation. So Luke is a part of that many because he says we or us that received it from them. So the people that were attempting this were second generation disciples. So they would have been uh, guys like, uh, you know, Polycarp to John or somebody like that, or, or Clement to Peter and Paul, second generation people. Now I'm not saying they did that. Uh, they actually recognized that their, their writings were not uh, to the same weight of the uh, apostolic writings when they wrote their epistles. But it would have been people that would have been saved under the ministry of the apostles like uh, Luke himself. So Luke would have been a part of that many. So yes, I think many implies the accounts of Christ that existed. Great questions. Well, again, tune in next time as we finish Luke, as we get into the internal evidence and see the consistency that we have with the attestation and the uh, external evidence of these documents, these fragments, and these fathers. Hopefully this was a blessing to you. Again, like and subscribe if you have not. We will see you next time. Grace and peace to you.